Listeners, you can't see this right now, but Amanda and I are staring deeply into each other's eyes and remembering time pass. We're in a very reflective mood this evening because this is our very last episode of the season. We've had the opportunity to talk to so many really fantastic people doing some really special work, um, and we're really excited to reflect back on those with you today. You're listening to the last episode, season one of Refreshed. been such an exciting first year for Refreshed, filled with tons of developments and firsts. And we could just warmly talk to you about each of these very heartfelt and wonderful moments. But instead, I think we'll go with a montage. This is Refreshed. <laughs> Hello, brave new listeners. Um, I'm JD. And I'm Amanda. And you're listening to the very first episode of Refreshed. We really want to thank the team at Mills Digital for creating an amazing website for us. Huge, huge thanks to all of you that supported us for our Kickstarter campaign. We are now on iTunes, so you can find us on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search Refresh and find Refresh on iTunes. JD (laughs) single-handedly ended Refresh in my absence. While she was gone, I shut down the website somehow. Um, We are so excited to bring you a series of interviews. Our first ever series. Our first ever series of interviews exploring Harvard's Graduate School of Education. We were very fortunate to be invited to... Polaris Charter Academy here in Chicago. Listeners, you might not be able to see this, but uh, I can see it. Amanda is power posing right now, which is super appropriate because we feel powerful. (laughs) It has been a super busy year. In the first episode we did on Refresh, one of my favorite moments was um, getting a chance to ask Amanda what she was like as a student. So after having a couple of good laughs uh, talking about ourselves in grade school, we decided that that would be a great first question for our guest. And we learned a lot, didn't we, Amanda? You would think that when you're talking to educators that their experiences in school might be similar, that they may have been similar types of students, uh, but that was actually not the case from what no. we heard of everybody. We got a little bit of everything. You know what, Amanda? I'm, I'm feeling something in my bones here. Like maybe we might need another montage. I was a good student. I definitely got good grades and was really into school. But it was funny because I was a little bit more of a slacker slash wait till the last second to get anything done. Definitely a nerdy kid. I had a lot of character, a lot of personality. I had a different um, windbreaker for every day of the week. I had a mixed experience as a student. I wanted to be seen as more than a student by school or more than just kind of a brain that's being educated. I was pretty unhappy in high school just feeling like school is not seeing me as a whole person. So I I came out of it feeling, I think, like I had some unfinished business here. There's something that I need to contribute back. I was a brown noser. Uh, I mean, not all of it was negative. Like, I tried really hard 
you know, I, I don't think I've really started to rethink school a little bit more until later on. So I was that kid that was every teacher's nightmare or dream. I tested every rule given to me, but then on the flip side, once once I was engaged in something, it was it was like I was the one running around trying to teach other people about it. I was the one. I always say my woo powers came in, or I was like winning people over to this idea, whatever it was. I think I was um, a student that always was slightly different. I was always questioning things, whether that be my parents or teachers, and really wanting to discover alternative ways to do things and go against the grain sometimes to a fault. In the middle, like early middle school, I was really into the Legos, and I like I was going to it. I had like a briefcase that I would carry my Legos around in. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have any friends until I was much older. I was a, I was a very good student, uh, certainly in terms of performance. I was on the quieter side, which might surprise you given how much we're going to talk today. But I, I don't know, I sort of played the game pretty well, which I think is something that a lot of suburban students do. Despite being a teacher's pet, which I totally was, I was the kind of kid that felt really strongly about things and what had a real, really strong sense of what was right and wrong. thing that we heard a lot about was parents in the school community. What parents want for their kids to be getting out of their their school and their education, um, and also the impact that parents had on the educators themselves. Let's listen in. But if you're talking to a group of parents and you zoom out and say, what, what kind of adult do we want our children to look like? I think then you find incredibly broad agreement. You know, people want their kids to be happy, want them to be resilient, ethical, thoughtful, reflective, productive, employable, <laughs> you know, all of those things. There's a whole set of things that I think has enormously broad agreement. And so I think that's where you start. If you start, if you go with a group of people, go to a group of people and you say, especially parents or others, that what are the kinds of qualities that you want your child or your or, or youth to have when you when they grow up? And I think very clear. What's most common is things, are things like compassion and self-direction or communication and independence or critical thinking, all these kinds of qualities. And I think that really there's actually a lot more allies in the world than we think. My dad grew up in Montenegro in former Yugoslavia and his entire childhood, the country was basically in a communist socialist type of I think they called Tito the president. I don't know that I would define him as a president so much as like a dictator, but he grew up in just a communist system. And I think a lot of his beliefs are around education being a great equalizer. And so he feels really strongly about the importance of everyone really getting an equal and and fair education. And I very much believe that, not that it should be through communism, but I think that it's really, really important for everyone to get a fair shot and that education is really what gives everybody the chance to, to succeed. My mom is a elementary school teacher. My mom was extremely patient and um, uh, really, as, as a mother and as a teacher, uh, allowed the space for um, me and her students to develop at their own pace and um, really sees her role as being supportive in that process. So 
early on in elementary school, for instance, I was diagnosed as dyslexic. And so I remember her taking me to a speed reading class together and we read The Hobbit back and forth popcorn style. And so just little things like that is what I think made her such a good mom, such a good teacher. And that definitely influenced um, some of my interest in education. My mom is the, is, is the saint on earth in my life. Um, she has put up with so much and really taught me. She and my dad both, but especially my mom, through homeschooling, um, is the one who taught me how to harness my energy in a way that was positive. Um, I was definitely what people would call like ADHD, and my parents never really let me own that. Um, they never put me on medicine. It was always like, this is energy that you have. How do we channel it? And how do we make it productive? And um, so my mom, God bless her, <laughs> she really fought through a lot of my defiance. She fought through a lot of my misbehavior and said, like, no, you're going to learn and you're going to be great. And I really feel that um, being homeschooled is the reason why I'm in education. While we were doing our very first season of Refreshed, we actually had the opportunity to be connected with a school in Chicago called Polaris Charter Academy um, that was working on their own project to create a podcast, and we had the opportunity to teach. They were working on a podcast as part of their Voices for Change project that revolves around creating change in their community as students. So take a listen to one of the educators, Melissa Odema, and what she has to say about this very special school. The project that we just wrapped up was a project um, that culminated from a year-long study in history where, with their social studies teacher, kids dove into different parts of history and learned about individuals and how they affected change in their time and place. And so the kids were able to pull out qualities of people that affect change and um, methods to affect change and really start to grow that understanding in themselves. Towards the end of this, started studying Ferguson and started hearing about different situations across the country. The problem in Baltimore with Freddie Gray's arrest happened, and the kids were getting really worked up about the inequality that they felt was happening with racial profiling and the relationships between police and African Americans and building on their understanding of how, you know, people throughout history have really affected change and their belief that children can be part of making change that they've grown while they're during their time here at Polaris. They really wanted to do something about it. And they were exposed to podcasts a little bit throughout the year and latched on to this idea of, hey, we could do that. Like, we want to create a podcast. Like, how can we make this happen? Um, our head of school had a connection that then connected us with JD and Amanda here. Um, who served as experts and came in and trained our kids in how to be hosts and how to be editors and how to be producers. And the kids really, the kids really wanted to get stories told and deepen their understanding about it. Students really took off with this project and reached out to some amazing people, including um, artists, members of Ceasefire, which uh, promotes peace um, with gang members. Uh, they talked to protesters in Baltimore, police officers, and aldermen. And the timing was perfect because right when Polaris was doing this amazing project, um, Donors Choose was launching a new initiative called Think It Up that really focuses on promoting and funding student-powered projects. Um, so Polaris was selected to be one of four schools featured on the the launch of this new initiative called Think It Up um, that came on primetime TV. 
not just came on primetime TV, but like closed down the major networks. We're talking NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC. So here we're going to be um, listening to Matthew freaking McConaughey talking about all the excellent work that the students did as part of the Voices for Change project. The success of the Peacekeepers project continues to inspire. Current students produce the Voices for Change podcast, where tackling issues of race and stereotypes continue to break the cycle of generational violence. It started off with like a guiding question. How does one affect change? It doesn't matter how young you are. If you want to affect positive change, you have to be the one that takes up the leadership. We now have kids that really want to be editors. Ideas hit a roadblock when you don't have any of those resources in the building. And how do we get all of this so that children can continue to create products that will hopefully change our world? As a result of that awesome campaign, the school actually received over $4,000 to continue this work next year. At the end of each of our episodes, we always encourage listeners to keep learning. Um, So for this episode, we really wanted to reflect back on what it is that we've learned throughout all these interviews. And one of the things that really stood out to us is there were a couple themes that we kept seeing over and over. We're going to play a clip from Sarah Fine, who is an adjunct professor at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. She was talking to us a little bit about deeper learning and talked about three components. Here's Sarah. What we come up with for a way to think about it is sort of triangle, uh, which is which is a you know overly simplistic heuristic. But um, so if you imagine a triangle, where sort of one node of the triangle is about identity. Um, so we certainly have seen we feel that most, if not all, of the the really powerful learning experiences that we've seen and that uh, people we've talked to have described um, tap in in some way to an element of the learner's identity. And then another note of the triangle is around mastery, and that's in some ways the most, the mastery note is sort of closest to the way that a lot of people think about deep learning um, prior to, to our work, which is in order to learn something deeply, you have to know a lot of stuff to get good at something. And so we have identity on the one on the one hand and mastery on the other. And then in many, many of the most powerful learning environments that we've seen, classrooms, outside of school environments, et cetera, there's some piece that's around creativity. Um, and I think my colleague, Joel, and I think about creativity not, not just in terms of um, doing something artistic, per se, but it's more about actually producing knowledge. After talking with Sarah, we started seeing some of these themes of identity and creativity pop up in all kinds of moments in our interviews. One of which was with Natalia from Nuestra Escuela, which is a really special school. And we saw that element of identity come out so clear in her interview. Well, here, the first thing they do when kids arrive, all beaten up, was very broken, is like what you would call an admissions test in any other school, is they go off to the mountains for three days and they have a retreat called Esencia Vital, which means uh, vital essence. They go through an experience that um, heals them. So they go through this retreat that focuses on them, and they get to share their story. So first it talks about what's your story, what are the things that have been bad for you, what are the things that have not let you be who you want to be. Then when the kids identify that, express that, and deal with it. Then they, they go through a process of identifying who they are, whoever they are at that moment. After they do that, they go through a process to identify who they want to be. 
and that is going to be their curriculum and their program, their, their life and work plan for the school. Then we have creativity, and when I think about creativity, I think of Katie Cromack, who uh, um, was uh, the manager of uh, Stanford Design School's K-12 through lab at the time that we talked to her, and she spoke about how creativity is something that can and should be taught. Let's take a listen at Katie as she talks about innovation and design thinking. We believe at the D School that um, innovation is not an event. Right when you ask people about when they have their best ideas or they've come up with a new thing, a lot of times people will say that it kind of struck them, it hit them in the shower, or when they were driving home from work, and that's awesome. But we we here believe that um, it's actually a process that you can teach people so that they can come up with innovative ideas on a consistent basis. So what else did we learn, Amanda? You know, another thing that came up again and again in these conversations is just the idea of students as as leaders and agents of change, um, whether it be in their own education or in their community, really making sure that student voice is being incorporated. And the first person that I think really um, we talked to about that was Christina, and she talked so much about educators are oftentimes focusing on preparing students to be leaders in the future and when they grow up, Um, but really we should be empowering students to be those change agents today. Well, let's see what Christina has to say about that. We talk to teachers and we tell them to talk to kids about who they're going to become in the future. Like when you go to college, when you become, when you grow up, and we forget that we need to empower our teachers to empower these kids to be change agents today. A first grader can change something in his world today. An eighth grader could change this city today. High schoolers can change this nation. We see all the time that people that are empowered to be global thinkers now are are doing it. Democratic education at the most basic level is making sure that student voice is being incorporated. Um, So we had the chance to talk with Dana Bennis, who is the founder of the Institute for Democratic Education in America. And to me, democratic education is about connecting to the world and what, is the, what are the issues and challenges in the world around us and what is the education that can address those uh, in a really authentic way that young people can find who they are through that and can find how they can impact the world around them. I think that there's a general sense that, and it's not totally illogical, but I think when you think about people, it is, but, you know, that earlier in life we need to be told what to do until we plan everything into our brains, we have all the knowledge we need, uh, supposedly, and then we can go out into the world and start to actually make our own decisions. And the problem with that is that we don't have experience with that. Students are capable of creating change, uh, not tomorrow, not a year from now, not when they graduate, but they can start creating change today. Uh, We saw that with the Polaris students who didn't waste any time in taking advice and putting it to action in order to make their world a better place. I think my favorite part of the interview was uh, when when they gave us advice on how we can affect change and how they could affect change too. What was some of the advice that you guys got? Um, we actually did it on June 3rd, I don't remember, but uh, they um, one of the advice was to bring our neighborhood and the police together and work out simple problems and just clean up the streets, and we actually did that on June 3rd, which was pretty cool. 
That's awesome. So you took the advice that they gave you and you guys actually started putting it to yes, action. Yes, I might actually put it to action. So tell me a little bit more about that, Maya. We put together a swimming group and we invited a lot of our local police officers and we invited Alden Walsh Brunette and we like invited most of the neighborhood to help out and clean up the streets. Speaking of action, another thing that we saw throughout these interviews was the people that we talked to had a bias for action. They not only were seeing the needs that needed to be met in education, but they were acting on it. So first on this, let's hear from uh, Katie Crummick again, who uh, was at Stanford's design school. And part of the design process is this idea of prototyping. Prior to this clip, she was talking a little bit about what type of student that she was. And she mentioned that she was so afraid of making mistakes, but that has drastically changed um, since she's been introduced to the design process. Let's hear from Katie a little bit about prototyping and getting feedback early. Because I didn't want to make any mistakes. And that's something that really has resonated with me here at the, um, the D school. I mean, we talk a lot about how hard it is for students to make themselves, like, seek feedback early in time to um, really incorporate it and make changes, and, and how often students, especially high-achieving students, aren't familiar with or comfortable with sharing things that they don't feel are done or complete. And that was, I was totally that kid. Mm-hmm. A, I wanted to like clarify things to death and B, I wanted things to be perfect. And it's been really amazing to see the power of kind of giving people license to, you know, we talk about um, later on in that process, we talk about prototyping and you want to prototype things as early and as often as you can. Because again, if you've spent, you know, two weeks perfecting this thing and you've invested all this time and maybe some money into it, when you go to, to ask people for feedback, they're gonna tell, they can tell that you're very invested in that idea. But they also, you know, you're not gonna be able to receive their feedback because you are invested and you've invested so much time in that. So that also really resonated with me as I've struggled as a a kid and a student to kind of break out of that perfectionist mode and to kind of really embrace um, taking risks and being vulnerable to improve. Another individual that we talked to that certainly is taking action for what he believes is is our actually very first guest, Chris Baum. We heard from him about his experience as an educator, what he saw as a void that needed to be met in serving students, and then how he went on to be the co-founder of a nonprofit and now the co-founder of a very new school starting this school year. Let's hear from Chris. I would say first, have a bias for action and Assume that if you see a need, it's probably real, and it probably needs more attention. I've been frustrated sometimes to hear people give potential nonprofit founders or social entrepreneurs the message that there are too many nonprofits out there. And I I really think nothing could be farther from the truth. There are challenges sometimes when nonprofits stick around for they perhaps are no longer accomplishing their mission. That's a separate question. We needed many new people to generate ideas. And there's a productive churn that I think comes from that. So if someone wants to do it, 
I would say first assume that you can do it and then figure out how. <laughs> so. We're going to end with a clip from Sarah Fine, who did an excellent job talking directly to educators and people working in the field. We asked her how she would like to see education develop in the next five years. Um, And um, she said some really amazing thing about taking the research and all the institutionalized knowledge and acting on it immediately. Five years from now, deeper learning is not something that we can afford to think about as icing on the cake for the the kids who happen to have been born into families where they can go to good schools or the kids who happen to have um, really strong academic skills or inclinations. So my hope would be that an increasing number of schools over the next five years are really just trying stuff out um, and acting on that recognition because we certainly hear from school leaders everywhere now. Increasingly, even over the last five years that I've been doing this project, we hear the rhetoric of, of deeper learning and the desire for kids to graduate really as critical thinkers and consumers of information. And um, we hear that everywhere now. And we didn't, even as of three or four years ago, we didn't, we heard it from sort of the particular leaders in the field that we were studying, um, but not from the sort of garden variety district leaders that we would encounter, and and more and more I think people are talking about it, so I guess what I would hope is that that talk really turns into experimentation, and that there are just schools all over the place that are are willing to take risks and disrupt what is only moderately working for them. It, It seems like the desire to move outside of the realm of what we already know in terms of teaching and learning is strong. But we just sort of lack imagination about what a different reality could look like. And so the more people are in schools and particular leaders and particular teachers are experimenting with different ways to teach, uh, different ways to engage with students around content, the more that we're going to have these little existence proofs that it's possible to do things differently and the more we're going to be able to understand what different ways of doing things differently have to offer. Well, I hope that you enjoyed um, really reflecting on this past year with Amanda and I, looking back at all of our amazing guests and what we've been able to learn um, from everyone who's been a part of this show. So you might be wondering, what's next for Refreshed in Season 2? Well, we have a couple of really exciting updates for you um, and what we're looking at for the coming year. We were able to file our Articles of Incorporation with the state of Illinois, which means that we are officially a nonprofit corporation. So we're going to be working on getting 501c3 status so that we can continue to work um, with schools and students and volunteers to really elevate uh, voices of people doing bold and radical things to reimagine the way that we're educating children and ourselves. We were very fortunate to work with Polaris and them be funded through the Think It Up campaign. And so with that, they are excited to have us back next year and we could not be happier to continue working with them for their second season of Voices for Change. Also thinking about episodes that we want to create, Refresh 2.0, if you will. I'd like to go to Canada. I'd like to go to Puerto Rico. So we might be taking some trips. So with that, we absolutely need to give a few thank yous to the folks that have made season one possible, starting with our guests. Yes, everyone from Chris Baum. Dana Bennett. Natalia Rosado. Cornelius Lee. Christina Fisori. Sarah Fine. Mark Larson. Katie Kermack. 
and all of the wonderful students and faculty at Polaris Charter Academy, Melissa, Michelle, Molly, Margaret, all of the 57th graders who are now going to be working with us um, uh, teaching the next group. As well as Mark Larson, who has done just a phenomenal job of being not only a great refreshed guest, but really helping us hone our craft as new interviewers in this space. And unfortunately, we're going to have to say a farewell and deep uh, thanks to Ellie Tier, our technical producer, who is with us over the summer and provided so much technical expertise. Uh, we couldn't have made episodes that sound technically good without Ellie. So thanks so much, Ellie. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Amanda and I have said this before, and we're going to say it again, and we're going to keep on saying it. Keep, keep learning! learning.